All right, if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn to Ecclesiastes. We're going to be in chapter 8 and uh, verses 10 through 17 today. And we're going to begin with this prayer, and then I'm going to read it. So if you guys will pray, pray this prayer with me, it's on the front of your songbooks. Lord, give us life as we seek you and your kingdom with a whole heart, as we attempt to fear you and keep your commandments. Let our lives be found in Christ, led by the Holy Spirit, as we walk in the arena of God's great mystery. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse, starting in verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They, they used to go in and out of the holy places and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, Yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this is also vanity, and I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one eyes sleep. Then I saw the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However, such a man may toil in seeking, he will not find out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. All right, there are many wise saying in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes that are written, given to us by Uh, King Solomon, that have a scene that is supposed to be in mind when we read them. And it's, it's a little bit strange because this section of Scripture and this, these chunks of Scripture, it's not a narrative. It's not a story. It's not like uh, the book of Ruth, which lays out this beautiful story, or even the book of Esther that lays out a story or some of the parables in the Gospels. So they don't seem to come at us as a bit of, uh, uh, or as stories. They come to us as sayings. I like um, stories a lot because they have like this scene in my mind the way that they play out is like they're it's better than a movie actually like a movie is playing out and these sayings don't seem to have that but it does have this picture that we're supposed to see and when we when we see the picture when we understand the picture uh we understand the wise sayings that are coming to us uh, a little bit better they're better understood in these ways the picture that is coming to us today in this text is actually a funeral march So picture yourself at a funeral march. Now you're at this funeral or you're just witnessing it maybe. But this funeral is for someone who has been wicked or has done wickedness in the eyes of men and yet they are still popular. 
They're still popular, they're well-known, possibly even being respected or feared. And this person would be a person who didn't do right, who didn't treat people right, who didn't treat God right, who didn't obey the laws of God, somebody who lived for their own gain, uh, even in that, that they were unfair in the way that they gained, and uh, and yet they advanced in their endeavors. And now... They died, and their bodies were carried out, and they were carried into the temple, and they were carried out of the temple, and and for this service, and during this service, they were praised. People would come up and say good things about them. People would be in the streets. I think about, um, you know, have you ever been to a funeral for somebody who was loved, and there weren't that many people there? Or ever been to a funeral for somebody who wasn't loved, and there were a lot of people there? We can think of it this way, that there was a lot of people there celebrating the life of this wicked person. Those who uh, are wise and knowing would stand back and wonder, why is this person being celebrated like this? Why is this person, I've seen the way that they live their lives, they don't deserve this honor, and yet... uh, they didn't live right. They didn't do right by anybody. They cheated and lied. And I think it, that if I was there, I would be like, why is this person being celebrated? Why is this life so honored and lifted up? And now that as we get this picture, I wonder who that would be in our culture. Who is a celebrated and popular, whose fun- funeral would be widely attended, who would be honored, and even though they were wicked in life, there'd be people around there singing their praises about how great they were. And I'm sure as I say that about, and give it a context of our modern culture, I'm sure that there are different pictures that come into each one of our heads of who this might be or who would kind of represent this picture for us. And I'd I'd ask for the sake of unity that we don't share who was in our mind because it's going to be different people for, for each one of us. But then, but when... This happens when we see the wicked celebrated by a culture or a society. It leads us into confusion, doesn't it? It leads us as as those who are trying to walk with Jesus. We don't understand that something that is somebody who's done morally wrong or lived by a false ethic is being celebrated. And if we strive for righteousness as, as we do, when evil is celebrated, the lines between good and right, um, the right and wrong, begin to fade a little bit. When this happens, it's hard for the road of those who want to live out and wish to live out uh, righteousness, Christ righteousness. But even if somebody just wants to live morally or live out a basic, like traditional, good human ethic, it gets a little muddied when right and wrong are no longer good and evil people are celebrated. Those who are wise and at least semi-logical would want to agree with uh, this theologian named William Brown when he says, in an ethically credible society, in a society who views things uh, according to like right and wrong, the righteous would prosper and the wicked would suffer. But we know that the wicked are not always cut off in their prime, are they? They're not always cut off in their prime. There are times when we feel like we live in this world that's just topsy-turvy, where those, there are those who cheat and steal and get wealth and amass a fortune and amass an empire. 
And then there are those who don't bend the rules and they, they don't do things wrong and they uh, are not in powers of position or honor. In fact, it's the opposite of way around. They're, those who cheat and steal and break at the rules seem to get the wealth and hard, honest, working folks seem to get set aside in the eyes of this world. This happens all the time, doesn't it? In workplaces, at least, we hear about it, we've seen it. And I don't believe that this world that we, we enter into in this text in, in Ecclesiastes 8, 10 through 17 is too hard for us to imagine. I think that we can see, uh, we've seen wicked do well, and we've seen them gain while those who have done right have suffered. And we also don't see the evil pe- person punished right away, right? Or we get to, we don't get to see folks that, um, like, it, it just... Uh, works out for them even though they're not doing right. One of my favorite comments that I get from folks when they find out that I'm a pastor um, is uh, they said, oh, I could, I'm sorry, pastor, I could never enter the church of your, I I could never enter the doors of your church because lightning might strike me. And I love this idea. I love this idea that like as if you go to church and God's going to be like, finally, I find them and then throw a lightning bolt down as if God were this Uh, mythical like Zeus-like figure just hurling lightning bolts at the wicked. Like this is not the way it happens, is it? We know that God is patient. We know that God sometimes lets the the wicked continue on and the ones who are being cheated cry out. And we may think that it's frustrating sometimes that he's patient, that the wicked aren't corrected right away. But this is his kindness. We saw in Revelation over and over and over that it was um, a long time where people were doing evil and wicked things and God's like, please repent, repent. I'm being patient. My kindness is supposed to lead you to repentance. God is so patient and he gives evil folks a time to repent. Evil deeds are dealt with. We can be sure of that, but they're not dealt with in our fashion or, or in our timeline. Evil is not instantly punished, and that's why many live in the way of evil. Well, I didn't get caught. I didn't get caught stealing. I didn't get caught cheating. So I'm going to keep just living this way. And there are times when we can't believe what we are seeing. We wonder if somebody, if other people see this evil that is going on. And yet the person doesn't seem to get caught, even though everybody sees it. Or maybe this is just in our own eyes of knowing what's going on in this world. What we see and what we know seem to be um, different in a society that are broken. What we know is good and what others say is good seems to just be broken. And this is when evil is not corrected right away, when when it doesn't hurt them right away. In fact, sometimes it benefits somebody right away then evil starts to run rampant. And yet God is constantly calling us to repentance from this. We've talked about in this church, we've talked about limits quite a bit, that we should live within our limits, that knowing that we we can do something, then we get to stop and ask, should we do that thing? Should we we, uh, do this thing? And then in that, we get to listen to God and figure out if, if, if we should do these things or not. And yet, we know that there are those who overstep their limits. As those who want to live for righteousness, the righteousness that Jesus provides, there are those of us who have put our trust in Jesus 
and that his perfect life is the one that we get to live. And then even in that, we get to live with the limits. And we know that those limits are for our good. We do this with our children, don't we? Mom, you did this with me, didn't you? You put limits around us because you know that these limits are good. And we get to live into these limits. And when we cross the line, as it's so, we so easily do, you know what we get to do? We get to repent. Because knowing and living within our limits is a part of fearing God, which is a wise thing to do. And I would say this, repentance is not easy in a topsy-turvy world where we're not sure about what's right or what's wrong. Oftentimes, we are go- when we're going against whatever, uh, whatever flow of culture there is, um, as we attempt to live right before God, it's not easy. We know that we don't do this perfectly, but we hope that, and pray that our sins won't um, get a hold of us and lead us into idolatry. That even as we do sin, we don't walk away from God and worship a created thing. We don't want sin, to sin to the point of false worship. So what do we do as followers of Jesus? We repent. We confess to God that we miss the mark, that we overstep our bounds at times, and that we, uh, that we don't act as wisely as we should. And our sin isn't punished immediately. And we are set... Um, and, and honestly, we are set to sin in, a, in certain ways. I would say even like a, a, a way of blindness because of our culture. Like we don't sometimes even know what sinful is. And this is, um, Jesus doesn't punish us right away, which is good, right? He took the punishment for us on the cross and then rose again. And we do this, uh, we don't uh, repent and walk in the ways of God because we don't always see the benefits of a righteous life. True? Like we don't always see it. Sometimes the fear, uh, sometimes the fear of God, the, and what I mean by fear of God, the honoring of God seems to be pointless because it isn't getting us anywhere. It doesn't seem to be the right thing or it doesn't seem like it's a gain to follow God. Have we ever felt this way? Like we're just like, God, I'm following you, but what the heck? What the heck? It seems sometimes to even make life harder, not easier. We can't seem to wrap our heads around why when we're living for God and we're living righteous in this wicked and corrupt world, why God just doesn't advance us to where we want to be. And since we don't always see the benefits, oftentimes it's hard to see what we need to repent from. It, 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 we can be blinded by culture in our lives. And I like what uh, the commentator Ellen Davis has to say on this. She says, repentance takes a lot of imagination because those who commit evil seem to be getting away with it. So we can get away with something. And we could be getting away with sins that we don't even know are sins necessarily. And as we repent, we get to enter into this imagination. We get to enter into where the Holy Spirit can speak to us in such a way about what we need to repent from. And I would say this, we don't live righteous lives just to get gain. That's not our motivation. That's, that's not the point. It's not our motivation. We live out of reverence of God and his ways. We live a righteous life to honor him and to offer our lives as a living sacrifice of worship to him. We don't worship with our right living just so we can get from him. 
There are times that our worship costs us. There are times, instead of rewarding us in the short term, we're just stuck wondering what's going on. We don't worship for gain. We worship because we love God, but we love God because He first loved us and He gave His life for us. And then He gave us His love and He gives it to a point where it's overflowing in our heart and we live out of a heart full of love, not for gain, but just because we want to walk with Jesus in His ways in this world. Loving what Jesus loves because Jesus loves it. That's why we love it. The preacher in this book of Ecclesiastes calls all that goes on in this world vanity. Right? saw it and it was vanity. This is also vanity. This is also vanity. Over and over he says that it's vanity, that it's a vapor, that it's a mist, that it's meaningless. So he tells us over and over, so love God, fear his commandments, and walk in his ways. This is the point of Ecclesiastes, is that we love God, we fear him, and we walk in his ways. But I'd ask this, how do we do this in this topsy-turvy world? I don't think this, uh, this world in which a funeral is widely celebrated for a wicked person is hard for us to imagine, but how do we live for God? How do we fear God and obey his commandments and walk in his ways in this topsy-turvy world? And this text gives us some, I don't know, solution is the way, but it gives us, it says, it gives us a suggestion that we should enjoy life. Enjoy life. That what we eat, what we drink, that in those things in which we toil, that we can be joyful. I love again what Ellen Davis has to say. She says, joy is the antidote to the abiding topsy-turviness of this world. Joy is the antidote. Taking a firm hold of all the good things God has given us to enjoy she says, is intellectually freeing. When we take hold of the good things, it's freeing. And as we embrace joy, it frees us up to let God be God. I love that. Because it's hard in a world of evil to see joy. It's often easier to see what is wrong with the world. To focus on all the bad. I think if anything in the last two and a half years has taught us is like we see a lot of bad. And sometimes we get so focused, hyper-focused on the VAD because we can see all the violence, we can see all the lying, we can see racism and poverty and governmental or corporate or global corruption that hurts people, hurts groups of people, individual people. And we can see this and we can weep tears over it. And I believe that we get to see this and we need to weep these tears over it even as we live in this joy. Because when we see evil in the world, we know that we don't want to fall into these things. We don't want to fall into this evil because we know the Father's heart weeps over those things. And so, so that how can we know that all this sadness is going on in the world that the lives of the wicked brings, but at the same time, we are instructed to enjoy life, to have joy. And just in case you think this is just Solomon or Old Testament, the New Testament suggests that we should live by joy as well. It says in Philippians 4, 4 through 9, it says it this way, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonable 
reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and what you received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is a beautiful thing. This is Solomon's Solomon's advice here to enjoy life is given to us by the Apostle Paul in Philippians as well. We get to enjoy life by thinking about the goodness that God has given us. As we pray, as we lift up our prayers, we lift up our worries, our concerns, our groanings and our whinings, we, are, we also rejoice and set our mind on the good that God has given us. There's no way that we can ignore the evilness in this world. We see it and yet we still rejoice. And we rejoice because we know that God is bigger than all that evil. And that all that evil will end and God's goodness will last forever. And we can see the evil in this world and still over enjoy the overwhelming grace of God in this world as well. I, say, I, I like to think it this way. We get to be angry at the evils in this world. Uh, all through scripture, there's, there's anger about evils in this world. There is so much of it to see. But even more than that, we get to see. We don't get to worry about the evil because God will take care of it. We get to remind ourselves that God is good. And that God has given us so much. And I don't think this is an easy task, but I pray that by God's grace, he will allow us to do this and focus in and enjoy the life that God has given us. His goodness, his mercy, his grace not only for the kingdom come, but for today. The preacher tells us that evil will exist and it will be celebrated. But this is pointless and it's vapor. It'll fade. But the kingdom of Jesus will never fade, will it? But they also instruct us that since this happened, since this happens, that evil will be celebrated. We get to learn the rhythms that God has for us, the rhythms of rest, rhythms of work, toil, and refreshment. We get to learn the rhythms of joy. So we get to go about eating and drinking and enjoying this world. We get to do this and we get to face these celebrations as we see all this evil. That's not to take away from the enjoyment that God's already given us and that we get to live out of. And in this, I would suggest that we fear God. The more we dive into Scripture, the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we see and know that God's ways are above our ways, then we get to live into the mystery of God's great unknown for us. Oftentimes, we don't know what our next step is, and it's hard to live in joy in those moments, right? We don't know maybe where our next meal or our next dollar or our next house or our next whatever it is is going to come from, but in that we can know and trust God and his goodness that he will lead us and he will guide us. And that gets to bring us joy. We know that even though it looks like evil is going to win and evil is, if we do evil, then we'll be successful in this world. We know that it's not true. We know that God is, uh, 
God is topsy-turvy compared to what this world is. An evil world, I think about it this way, an evil world would think what Jesus did was wrong. He flipped it on its upside down. To give us life, what did he do? He died. And that life and death cannot hold us down because we live in the light of our resurrected Savior. We are freed by Jesus' death to live his resurrected life. And we enter into enjoyment of God's relationship through the foot and the cro- at the cross of Jesus. And I pray that we might have the strength and the wisdom to live that life that God has given to us with the joy that he has given us to enjoy. That no matter how hard it is to live in this world for Christ, that we will enjoy the goodness and grace that God has given us. That we may allow the joy of the Lord to be our strength. And that we live by the power of the Holy Spirit's life in and for us. So Jesus, I pray that we may do this. I pray that we may learn enjoyment to a deep level. I pray that we will figure out what it means to live for you with joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. Lord, that we can live by the fruit of your Spirit, that we can have life in you amidst all the evil and wickedness and violence, that we don't celebrate those things, we repent from them. And Lord, we walk with you. So Father, be with us. Holy Spirit, please lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.